Luke 10, 25 to 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, he answered. Love, your, love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who, who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on by the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn, and took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, the inn, uh, the next day he took, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of the three do you think was the neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The experts in the law replied, The one who has mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. I heard an explanation of this um, parable in an ethics class when I was at university where the uh, ethics lecturer said the good Samaritan did the wrong thing. He blew it because uh, we all know from first aid classes that you don't move the victim. <laughs> I think he didn't quite get a handle on this passage. We'll see if we can do better today. But uh, let's pray and then think about this, this good story. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you've made yourself known in the past at different times and in different ways, but you've made yourself known specifically and clearly to us in the person of our Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we come to know him through your word, the Bible. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to benefit from this time, to take you seriously and to respond in faith and love towards you as we think about this passage and how it, it applies to our lives. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how many people here have heard of a man called Arthur Stace. Has anybody heard of Arthur Stace? Yeah, there's a couple of people. Good. For the rest of you, I'll fill you in. Arthur Stace was a Christian man who became known as Mr Eternity. He got that sort of uh, nickname because he wrote that one-word sermon on the streets of Sydney in a yellow crayon in that lovely copper plate font with the big E on the front of it. But he wasn't always interested in sparking people's minds to think about eternity with God. In fact, he, uh, he had a pretty tough start to life. He grew up in poverty in the slums of Balmain in 1884. His uh, mother and father were both drunkards and so were his brothers and sisters. And they spent much of their time in jail. So it was a tough start. 
Unfortunately, Arthur also fell into a life of alcoholism and a life of crime. But one day he came to a church on St Barnabas Broadway where him and 300 other poor hungry people decided they'd turn up and hear an hour and a half of the Christians down the front before they got their free feed. Uh, And on that day he thought, well, look at us rabble and those Christians seem to be uh, having it together pretty well. And And he got a hearing for the gospel. And that day he actually said sorry to God. He got down on his knees and he prayed that he would be forgiven and he put his trust in Jesus. It was a little later that he heard a preacher called Reverend John Ridley. Uh, During one of his sermons, this is what Ridley had to say. Eternity, eternity, I wish I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it, but where will you spend eternity? And that was a turning point uh, in the life of Arthur Stace in his decision to in his own way, tell other people about his faith. Just shuffling my papers here, folks. I've just got them out of order for a moment. That's what you get from preaching before and not shuffling them back. Here we go. Righto, back on the saddle and back in with this Arthur Stace story. So Arthur Stace said to a, a journalist, Eternity went ringing through my brain. And suddenly I began crying and felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. And then several mornings uh, a week for the next 35 years, Arthur Stace would get up at around 5 o'clock in the morning uh, and go around the streets with his uh, yellow chalk or his yellow crayon because he found that stood the time better in the wet. Uh, And he wrote eternity on the paths, footpaths, train station entrances, anywhere he could think of. Even inside one big bell, uh, he he got the word in there. And that's actually remained to this day. And it's estimated he wrote this word 500,000 times uh, over 35 years. And as a tribute to uh, this man's uh, efforts to spark people to think about eternity, if you recall back to the celebrations in the year 2000, Do you remember it was on the Harbour Bridge? He's emblazoned a description of eternity. Uh, And it seems to be something which engages with people even today to think not only about death but the hope of having eternity, a life of eternity. Well, a longing for eternity was in the hearts of the Jews as well. Uh, They remembered verses like Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And it's with that context of thinking about eternity that this expert in the law comes to Jesus in today's passage. Jesus has just had a high moment with the disciples. Uh, They've reflected on how evil spirits have submitted to them and how the kingdom's broken in on the presence Uh, And Jesus has reminded the disciples that many people in the past have longed to see the great signs of this new age which is to come, which has started in the ministry of Jesus. So many people in the past have longed to see these things as a foretaste of what's coming next. And now we're invited to the scene where this expert comes in to challenge Jesus. And he's got eternity on his mind. He wants to hear what Jesus has got to say about the way to eternity. 
pick it up in verse 25 if you're reading on. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, can we relate to that question? Death is a sensitive topic. It's a bit of a taboo in our society and it's often tucked away uh, in institutions so we don't see it like they do see it in the third world countries. But it's also very close to home. We know that we only get one life and then we will pass into another kind of existence. And people want to have assurance that they're going to spend their eternity with God. So it's a relevant question. Arthur Stace heard Ridley put it to him, you've got to meet it, you've got to meet eternity. But the big question is, where will you spend it? Well, Jesus engages this lawyer and he, in a summary form, explains that life with God and life eternally arises out of a living faith. We can see that picked up in verse 26. He says to him, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Or how do you understand it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. In some ways, Jesus is saying to this guy, you don't have to ask me this question. You're a teacher yourself. You know the answer. But all you have to go and do is practice what you preach. Jesus is picking up the message of God from Deuteronomy, that God has saved his people. He's rescued them out of Egypt and brought them to himself to live as his covenant people. And he called them to have a genuine faith in God and a genuine love for him. A love that would be a living, active faith that would be expressed in their love for their neighbour. And in so much as they did love the Lord their God, uh, they would enjoy God's blessings. The Bible is pretty clear in Deuteronomy. God would bless them when they come in and bless them when out. He would bless their lives. God wasn't calling them to have any play acting. He didn't want a sham kind of a faith. Their love was to be expressed in keeping the law and loving their neighbour, which is what this guy brings up, this expert. Now, we know that they actually, the Jews wouldn't actually carry out the law perfectly. We know they wouldn't keep it uh, to the nth degree. How do we know that? Well, we know it because God actually provided a sacrificial system where they could offer sacrifices, deal with their sin, and maintain the relationship that they did have with God. So they could actually do their sacrifices, say they're sorry for their sin, deal with them in that way, and know that when they were walking home, they were forgiven, that they did stand in God's grace. They could know that they were right with God. This is how the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith actually describes that stage of life, if you like. It says this covenant, this covenant of grace it's referring to, was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. The Bible's take is that God saves people by grace in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's all a grace salvation, but it's administered differently in the time of the Old Covenant. This is what the Confession says. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, which is the Passover, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews. But this is the important part, all for signifying 
Christ to come. So these things were a, a sign of what was to come in Christ. Uh, other parts of the Bible talk about it's a, it's a shadow of the reality which is coming to deal with their sin. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to be taking away sin, but Jesus comes as the perfect sacrifice to deal with sin. But we start to understand what Jesus does because of what's come before. And it says, uh, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious, which means they were effective, through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith, which means build up God's faithful people in the promised Messiah by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation and is called the Old Testament. So that's a little bit wordy, I know, and if, you, if I've lost you for the moment, you can come back now because I'll, I'll give you the short version. Uh, God's faithful people in the past were right with God uh, and Jesus, when he came, his death was sufficient for their sin in the past and our sin in the future. So they could be assured of their salvation. Well, their faith was to be expressed in love. And that was uh, that they had love for their neighbour was a sign that they had a living relationship with God, not a dead faith. Well, this lawyer, though, he's not happy. He lived at a time when there were people occupying the land, the Romans, pagans as far as the Jews were concerned, and they'd also had confrontations with their northern neighbours, the Samaritans, who they had a long-standing feud with. Uh, since the Assyrians came in and resettled people, there was a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles. And so this lawyer asks a further question, doesn't he? The one we already know because we've looked at the story a few times in our lives. He says in verse 29, But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Well, the question that I've got is, why does he ask this question? Why does he ask, who is my neighbour? Why do you think he's asked that question? Isn't it the same kind of uh, reason that my kids say, do I have to go back to school? Or why the Bruntons might even say, do we have to go back to Sydney? Don't they ask that kind of question because they, they don't really want to do it. Uh, my kids are enjoying their holidays and they don't want to go back to school for the most part. Um, but they're asking the question, do we have to go back to school because they don't want to do it? And I think that's what this guy's, where this guy's at as well. I only want to love some people, but surely do I have to love everyone? So he's asking the question because he doesn't really want to love everyone. He doesn't want to. And that's why he's saying, and who's my neighbour? Now, can we relate to that kind of situation at all? Does that touch on our lives at all? Well, I don't know if you've ever driven down the road and you've had somebody cut in front of you on the roundabout, speeding in, you've got right of way, and yet they are racing without looking. Well, the Bible says, love your neighbour as yourself. It's a bit tricky sometimes, isn't it? Have you seen those gopher drivers? I know I was coming down from Hastings River Drive down to the traffic lights towards Settlement City. There was a gopher driver on my side of the road, taking up my lane as I... He was on the wrong side of the road. You know that saying, I'm old and I'm coming out. <laughs> Well, that's, that's where this guy was at. Love your neighbour as yourself. It is a bit tricky. Have you ever wished that there were some people that you weren't called by God to love? They're God's creatures. He's made them. But how do you go loving your next door neighbours, your landlord, your tenant, your mother or father-in-law, work colleagues, your boss, your employer, 
or even your minister. There's a challenge. <laughs> Love your neighbour. <laughs> Jesus can see that this guy has got a problem and he wants him to think about his question. His question shows his motives. Well, let's have a look at what some of the lessons are from this story that Jesus goes on to tell, this penetrating story about the Good Samaritan. A man, and he's probably a Jew that we've got in mind, is coming down from Jerusalem. And as he descends, he falls prey to robbers. These robbers don't exactly love their neighbour, if you know what I mean. Uh, They're dreadful. They do what they call in Sydney, they roll him, not for his Air Max shoes or his mobile phone. Uh, But it's a tough time he has. He gets pretty roughed up. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. But then again, what can you expect from robbers? Perhaps we could expect a lot more from the leaders of God's people. Perhaps we could expect a lot more from those who are seeking to encourage others to carry out God's law and have a genuine faith. Well, let's see what we get. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Well, perhaps not quite as bad as the robbers, but... It was a bit disappointing, wasn't it, to see these guys who were teachers of the law and also upholding the the temple practice. And a word like heartless comes to mind, doesn't it? They were heartless when they saw him there and left him in the lurch. What do they say? With friends like that, who needs enemies? That's right. So they haven't really hit form. There's no real comment on their motives, however. They just saw him and then left him in the lurch. For guys who were expected to have a love for their neighbour and to carry out the law, they're really out of order. But what about the Samaritan? Well, let's pick it up in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which was a denarii was equivalent to a day's wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Well, he sounds a lot like what God did for his people in the past. God actually rescued his people out of hardship. He carried his people, we're told the description is on eagle's wings, not so much on a donkey, uh, and God brings his people into a good place, a place of blessing. That's what this guy does. He, he's kind to the person. He takes him out of trouble, carries him to a good place of blessing and he looks after him. The Samaritan is actually like God towards this Jewish neighbour of his. This man that God's put in his path in life. And to the Jews, this is actually pretty unlikely. They wouldn't have expected the Samaritan to be the one who actually carries out God's good law. They'd expect their leaders, their teachers, to actually carry out the law of love. Uh, But this unlikely character, he's the one who turns out to obey God's law, shown by his practical compassion, whereas the other two guys flunk. Well, I wonder what the response of the wounded Jew would have been, though, when this wounded Jew woke up and found that it was a Samaritan who actually came and took care of him. might think that he... find it a bit easier to put aside some of his prejudices and his differences that he had with the Samaritans. 
people that didn't come naturally for him to love. I can tell you now as I think about this, when I was a kid riding my bike down near the Summit Road in Lighthouse Beach, I looked over my shoulder and unfortunately went splat on the ground and tore my arm up and I had this kind bloke from the surf club come out of his house with his son and they took me while I was blubbering everywhere and he took me into his bathroom and cleaned up my wounds, wrapped them up, called my mum and dad, calmed me down. It was a hell of a lot easier to be friends with that kid through my schooling from primary school to high school because he showed kindness to me. He wasn't the kind of kid I was going to pick on anytime soon. Uh, I could put my differences aside and find it easy to love him. And I think that's what Jesus is probably getting at for this expert in the law. Imagine if that expert in the law could identify with the wounded Jew. If the expert in the law was the one beaten up and he found that some Samaritan had looked after him. Even though the Samaritan might not have been an easy guy to love, maybe this expert in the law could have found that actually that Samaritan was his neighbour and he should and could love him. Well, I wonder how he would have responded. And how should we respond when there are people that it just does not come naturally for us to love? I went through a list earlier. Think about the people that get under your skin. It doesn't come naturally to love some people. Some people it's hard to love. But that's the life that God calls us to. Well, did you notice that Jesus doesn't actually answer the expert's question? He seems to undermine the question instead. He doesn't go on to say who the neighbour is. He, he only goes on to talk about you can't define a neighbour, you can only be a neighbour. And he asks a different question. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. It's interesting, he might not even be able to bring himself to say the Samaritan. But he gets it right, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus commands this lawyer to go away and to follow the example of this Samaritan and to do likewise. Go and do likewise. Well, the life that Jesus calls his people to, the life of God's eternal kingdom that breaks in on the present, if we're to be kingdom people, we are to follow Jesus' challenge here. We are called to love our neighbour. Jesus, in his kindness, has brought us salvation. We haven't been rescued out of Egypt. We've been rescued from sin and death. That's the good news. And as we put our trust in Jesus, we're called to live a different kind of life now where we express that salvation, that, that the fact that we've been saved and enjoyed life with God, we're now called to express that in love for our neighbour as well. We're citizens of God's kingdom that's begun in Jesus and has come. And he's still yet to come. We're looking forward to that eternity that Arthur Stace wrote about half a million times over 35 years. And we're people who pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so may we be people who have a genuine love for God expressed in what we do and how we live. But what about the priest and the Levite? Where did they stand as far as they were looking at eternity? They were supposed to be people who were characterised by doing God's will. But they didn't have any love for their neighbour. There was no sign of love. And so we could maybe say, did they really have a relationship with God? Did they really have life with God when there was no fruit to be seen in love for their neighbour? 
well, maybe we should be different to that. We should be bearing fruit that people will know us by our love. And they'll know that we are Christians because we've got a love for the Lord that's expressed in our love for our neighbour. Now, if you're a person who hasn't yet come to that stage of life where you've decided you would like to be forgiven, where you would like to have that assurance of life with God for eternity, well, like Arthur Stace, you could also decide that today is your day where you get on your knees before the Lord and ask for forgiveness and put your trust in Jesus who comes to save us. Jesus calls us all to repent and believe the good news that he has come to be our saviour. And he calls us all to do that. But in conclusion, as a, as, a, as a bit of a challenge, one of the things we observe about Jesus' call for people to love their neighbour is it's not just restricted to Israel. This guy might have been only keen to love the Jews. But what we notice in Jesus' world is that tax collectors come, sinners come, prostitutes come, Gentiles come, Samaritans come, all kinds of people uh, come to Jesus and the mission goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth to all kinds of people and that's our challenge as God's kingdom people to love all kinds of people, not just our Christian brothers and sisters but to keep in step with Jesus' mission and to reach out to folk who aren't yet having life with God. So may we be people who not only hold on to eternity as we hold on to Jesus and we're not moved from our hope in the gospel, let's hold on to that and stand the test of time, but let's also be showing that relationship we have, that genuine love for God uh, by loving not only our Christian brothers, but people who might not come naturally for us to love. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that now. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you for Jesus and his complete and perfect sacrifice. And we thank you that uh, through his death on the cross, on our behalf, he takes our sin upon himself that we might be forgiven. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to hold fast to Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and to show that living faith that we have in him expressed in our actions. Lord, we know we're not saved by our love for our neighbour. We're not saved by our works. But Lord, we know also that we won't be saved without them and that they'll accompany our saving faith. Father, we pray also as we think about the people that we find it hard to love. We pray that you would help us to love our Christian brothers and sisters in meaningful ways. And Lord, we pray that you would also help us to keep in step with your mission in the world to reach out and to love all kinds of people and to take this uh, wonderful news that people can get right with you through trusting in the work of Jesus, just as Arthur Stace did. Father, we pray that you would help us to be mindful to love our neighbour as an expression of the living and active faith that we have in you. We pray for your help to do that and to persevere well as your people for your glory and honour. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.